There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. All right, I'm Ralph Marlboro. Welcome to the Chronic Podcast. It's Monday, so as always, we're joined by Andrew Huge. It is a blue Monday, but it's not completely blue, Andrew, as, look, the Saints lost a tough one to San Francisco, and we'll get, in that, get into that in just a minute. But, Andrew, I'm going to make the argument to you right now that the Saints are actually closer to a playoff spot than they were when we woke up yesterday morning before they, they lost to San Francisco because I firmly believe with all the teams losing ahead of them, including the Saints, the odds are nine wins is going to get you a playoff spot in the NFC. And to me, nine wins for the Saints was always a, a very achievable goal because starting 0-4, I always felt like 9-3 and was sort of doable because you can go 3-1, and 3-1, and 3-1, and and you can get to 9-7. and I always felt 10 and 11 wins was really a bridge too far. So as strange as this sounds, I feel like the Saints are closer to the playoffs today than when they started yesterday. Yeah, I, I somewhat agree with you, Ralph. And I think if you look at the competition, um, and so basically, you know, we're talking about those other teams that lost. Um, look, Seattle's got a rookie quarterback, and while defensively they've gotten a little better, they just announced that both starting corners are suspended for four games each. Um, so, you know, for me, and to lose to a team like Miami um, the way they did um, was just was just abysmal. Ben, Miami, you know this better than anyone. Miami is not a good team. And they look, my wife thought it was fantastic. Like, yeah, <laughs> they made Tannehill look like the second coming of Johnny United. So, um, you know, I, I think um, – the Seahawks don't bother me that much, and, and you know, obviously with the Vikings, um, Peterson has looked amazing all year, but uh, their quarterback, same deal. Man, did he look abysmal and they have a, um, this week, and the Vikings have just an absolute yeah. death of a schedule. Um, and so, really, I think that the main the main team that, that the Saints are going to compete against is Tampa Bay. What about uh, for that last spot? I really think that's, that's the battle, and um, – Tampa has to play the Saints once, so they kind of control that. And they, they have to play Atlanta again. So, you know, I, I kind of feel like that will maybe be a loss for Tampa. But, look, um, it, when you say the Saints got to get nine wins, I kind of feel like, yeah, it has to be nine, but one of those nine wins has to be the second win against Tampa. Oh, definitely. definitely. Look, yeah. I think if, if, if you're going to get – if the Saints are going to get to nine, you got to beat Atlanta, you got to beat the Giants, you got to beat Tampa – and you got to beat Dallas, and you know if I had to pick one game, I'd want them to lose it. It'd be Carolina, but that's kind of—I just—I don't know if I could see them going into the, the last game nine and six and having it wrapped up. But um, look, Washington could be in play a little bit if they could beat the Giants coming up. They could get to six and six, and they have the tiebreaker over the Saints. But it's just a cluster of nine and seven teams. You never know how it's going to go. And really, to me, everybody's saying—you know—today on Mike and Mike, they were talking about Tampa. 
But to me, the only difference between Tampa and the Saints is Tampa beat Kansas City. I mean, Tampa, they hung on barely against uh, uh, Carolina. They lost a close one to Atlanta. I mean, uh, and, and you know what? Despite the the fact that Doug Martin ran for 250-some-odd yards against the Raiders, the Raiders had the ball only down six with a chance to win that game, and the Saints dump-trucked the Raiders. So, I mean, all these NFC teams, Andrew, they're all heavily flawed. And I just – yesterday convinced me that 10 isn't going to be the number. Not, I said in my column last week I thought 9 was the number. Now I'm almost sure of it. But – no, I'm with you. So that 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 basically means the Saints have to go four or one the rest yeah. of the way, and that that's going to be very difficult. I mean, they yeah. they could easily easily lose their next two when you consider that they're on the road against Atlanta and the Giants, who are two of the two of the maybe top three or four teams in the NFC. So um, it's certainly not going to be easy. But look, um, you know, again, I think when you consider that the Saints started 0 and four, and they've been five and two since then. Um, you know, at least they're playing these games and, and they have meaning. Yeah, and look, let's get to the game yesterday. I I just think the whole, it's doom and gloom. The Saints, you know, they were out physical again. They're not tough enough. Listen, that game yesterday, the Saints, I thought, put together their best half of defense the whole entire year. Patrick Robbins sort of topped it off with a nice interception. The Saints are driving. And look, Devery Henderson... Drew Brees throws a strike. Devery Henderson makes a great catch. Can't get a foot and bounce. He gets that foot and bounce, Andrew. The odds are the Saints are going up 21-7 to at half. Kaepernick just threw an interception. He's got to sit and think about an interception. The Saints are, down 20, are up 21-7. San Francisco might be forced to throw. Kaepernick, the crowd was a little getting to him. I just think everything's different, but Drew Brees throws the pick six. San Francisco comes out, scores to begin the second half. Drew Brees throws another pick six. I mean, I didn't feel it was a case of the Saints got completely dominated. I just felt like they went toe-to-toe with who I think is the best team in the NFC, and there was about five plays between the end of the first half and the beginning of the second half between the picks and the third downs that the Saints couldn't get off the field. San Francisco made all the plays. The Saints made none of them, and that was the difference. You're absolutely right, and no, I, this loss was on Drew Brees, and uh, really the first pick is the one I have problems with. Um, but I, right before that interception, I actually said to myself and the people I was watching the game with that the Saints have to get three here. You know, not don't be too greedy, don't go for the kill, um, put yourself in field goal range and rely on Hartley to hit one. And uh, I was thinking to myself, man, if they go into the locker room up 17 to seven. Um, they're going to be in a perfect place yeah. to win this game. And so really everything up until that pick six thrown to Ahmad Brooks was playing in the Saints' hand, and, and, and they they were dominating the line of scrimmage, um, at least defensively. I mean, just absolutely shutting down Frank Gore, doing an excellent job against the run. Now, they overcommitted a little bit to stopping that, and that was the game plan. And so because of that, um, they did get gashed at times against the pass, and they gave up some big plays, but – um, when you look at that, they had held the 49ers to seven, and we're in a position there to, to hopefully go up 10 um, or even 14 at halftime. I think it would have been really difficult for the 49ers to come back from that because um, then the 49ers would have become more one-dimensional. Um, and what ended up happening, look, if you saw the way the Saints ran their office, offense in the first half, 
they were very aware of what put them at a disadvantage. Yes. And so you saw less Jimmy Graham, you saw more jumbo sets, you saw heavy um, jumbo packages to the right side to protect um, Bryce Harris and then Robinson at the right tackle spot, and it was working. You know, they, they weren't getting huge yards running, but they were they were getting enough to keep the 49ers offense, uh, or sorry, keep the 49ers defense honest. And then they were running some play action, and it was working. And so um, I thought the, the play calling and everything up until that point was perfect. Now, once the game got out of hand and the Saints felt like they needed a throw and they felt like they needed to get huge chunks of yardage in, in a quick in a quick time, um, then that's when it started to unravel. And that's when the Saints um, put themselves at a disadvantage by being down a couple scores and going out of the shotgun and throwing every play. At that point, the 49ers knew it was coming. And, look, I don't, I don't know if the Saints offensive line, when it's fully healthy, um, can block um, the 49ers when it gets into those situations where it's third and 15 I don't think anybody can block the 49ers in that situation, Andrew. No, no, and so you you have to keep them honest. You have to. The Saints knew that coming in, and they executed the game plan to perfection leading up to that first pick six. And they were in a position to take a 10-point lead in the halftime, which would have sent the crowd into a frenzy, and instead that pick six completely deflated everyone. Now, look, even at 28-21, the Saints make one play, they have the ball back, they make one play, and they tie it at 28, and, and who knows? You know, that, that, yeah. that's still, there were opportunities even in the second half to change the complexion of the game. But my point is, I don't see how you can sit here and say the Saints don't stack up against the 49ers when all the way up until under a minute left in the first half, they had handed them their ass. No, look, for, and I said in my comments, I think the 49ers are the best, deepest team in the NFL, and if they get B-plus quarterbacking, I think they're going to win the Super Bowl. And Colin Kaepernick, I think he's just he's just different than Alex Smith. He gives them, he gives them things that Alex Smith can't, and Jim Harbaugh yeah. is just like, Jim Harbaugh is just looking at it going, we can win the Super Bowl with Kaepernick if he plays like this. We can't with Alex Smith. And, and look, this isn't a 49er podcast, so I don't really give a shit, but... That team there, they're, they're, they are, in my opinion, the, the best team in the NFC, clearly. And the thing is, Andrew, like you say, look, the 49er with Jim Harbaugh, his philosophy is physical, aggressive, and it, it's not subtle. I, I said in my comments, it's almost like they want to they get you in a corner and then beat you to death with a two-by-four. And yeah. they got the Saints when it was seven and a half minutes to go, up 31-21. The Saints were in the corner, and they proceeded to beat the Saints to death with a two-by-four. That doesn't mean the Saints are got out physical or got whatever. The, the 49ers just got them where they wanted, and the Saints do it to teams all the time where they run the ball, they get in the third down, and they start throwing all over people. It's just – I mean, I don't think you can take any – make any grand judgments about the game yesterday. The Saints just... No, I think, Ralph, if you put the shoe on the other foot, imagine if the Saints are up two scores late in the game against the 49ers, okay? The 49ers are a pounded, smash-in-your-mouth type of team. If the Saints are all of a sudden dropping into the coverage because run is no longer a threat, and the 49ers have to lean on Kaepernick to make all these plays to get him down the field with no threat of a running game, it all of a sudden gets a lot more difficult because 
Manningham and Crabtree, they made some plays, but they're not fantastic no, receivers. They're God. not so good. I mean, they're not as good as some of the receivers that you see in the league that the Saints have faced so far. So they're, they're not as good as Atlanta's receivers. And so, um, you know, I th- it would have been much harder on the 49ers to make plays if they had been turned one-dimensional like the Saints had been. And um, conversely, if you look at their defense, if all of a sudden the Saints get the ball back and the 49ers are thinking, oh, well, the Saints are going to look to run clock, run clock, run clock, that opens up Drew yeah. Brees to, to basically do whatever he wants to them. Yeah, and, and, and so, I, no, exactly right. I mean, it's the it, it, it's circumstance of the game that at the end made it look like, you know, the, the Saints were completely outmatched. And, and you know what? It played right into the hands of the Saints, of, of the 49ers' strength, and it played right into the hands of the Saints' weakness with a fourth-string right tackle. So, you know, you, 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 I mean, you got to add all that into the equation and realize that if the shoe's on the other foot, the Saints can make the 49ers look pretty bad as well. And, in fact, they did for about a half. Yeah, no, and look, the only, the only qualm I had with the Saints – entire game plan was because I thought the defensive game plan was good I mean you know they got burned a couple times with the tight end but that's just Steve Spagnola admitted today look I rolled the dice on a couple of times on third and short put Curtis Lofton in some tough spots it happens you know you you're thinking hey it's third and three they got a rookie quarterback they're going to try to run or do a short pass they gash the Saints I thought we, we talked about the offensive game plan they stuck with the run until they couldn't anymore the only qualm I had with it Andrew is where was Pierre Thomas you know, you've got this pass rush for the San Francisco. You've got the best – or the, the Saints run the screens really well. Pierre Thomas was MIA. I don't know. If he was kidnapped, please return him to airline drive. I just – it was stunning that he was nowhere to be found. Yeah, and I, I think um, he's a little bit more of a misdirection guy. Um, and, you know, and, and so the offensive line and plays need to develop a little bit more for him to be successful. And I think the Saints perhaps felt like they didn't really have time for that. They didn't yeah. do screen passes that, you know, the, the 49ers get after the quarterback too well. And if we're going to establish the run, we need to run it right down their throats, you know, to be successful. We can't try to get off the edge and run these gimmicky plays. It's not going to work. Their defense is too good. And so I, I think, you know, a lot of what Pierre Thomas does kind of relies on setting up his blockers and, and allowing a play to develop and, and I, I think the Saints just didn't have confidence that their blockers could beat the 49ers. Um, so I, I think it, I think part of it was it was a bad matchup for Thomas, and you'll probably see him more. But um, but look, he's still I think your your best running back in pass protection. Yeah. And so based on that alone, um, he should have played more um, to help help True Breeze stay upright. And um, you know. Uh, I feel like Mark Ingram got 10 carries and, and didn't really do much with them. And, you know, certainly Chris Ivory was playing better than him. He was running harder yeah, than him. he was. And um, I would have liked to have seen Ivory and Thomas both split the touches that Ingram got. Um, well, so. no, that's that's exactly right. And, and you know, uh, the thing is with San Francisco, San Francisco's defense, I mean, I know – Sometimes when the Saints lose, we harp on, oh, they should have done this or they didn't do this. San Francisco's defense is so good. I mean, they, they are so good at tackling. They had two plays where they got it to Darren Sproles, and I can guarantee you if they play Atlanta, they had like little third and like five played where they had Darren Sproles out in space, and it's Sproles and Bo- Bowman and Willis, and they're making the tackle. I can guarantee you 
no other defense is doing that. San Francisco's defense is just, it's just really, really good. Well, not only that, I mean, they're nasty. Yeah, they, they are. are out the main, main people. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, I, I bet Greg Williams actually would have a great time coaching those guys because, um, frankly, they're a lot nastier than the Saints defenses under Greg Williams. But, um, no, I, I think the, the real problem, um, you know, and Whitener, that guy hits like an animal. I mean, they're physical. They're, they hit hard. And if you look at how banged up the Saints got, I mean, Harris was knocked out in the first quarter for the game. Um, with, with what I'm pretty sure is a broken leg. Um, you know, I mean, they almost broke Marcus Colson's neck. Um, I, I have no idea how Lance Moore came back in that game because he looked like he got knocked out cold. Um, but, no, so, I mean, they almost injured numerous offensive players yeah. just with the way they were hitting and going after the head. But, um, you know, the Saints, I mean, that's one of those things where uh, – you know, and I hate to bring it back to the refs, but that, that, that's definitely a part of it, too. I mean, those guys played very aggressive. They were grabbing receivers all day. Um, they were hitting them when they were defenseless. They were interfering with them, um, just playing really physical football. And um, the refs are kind of letting them play. I mean, they let them get away with a lot of yeah. physical plays. And, um, you know, I, I'm not even going to complain about that necessarily because, you know, I, I respect refs that don't throw flags at everything and don't get too, super ticky-tacky about calls. Um, but that definitely plays into the hands of a team like that that's going to play really aggressive, really, you know. And, and you know, if you look at Mike Carey and you know his staff, I mean, if they were officiating that game, um, we would have seen 15 times the number of flags that we saw, um, you know, on those plays. And so um, I, I do think the 49ers defense is a little fortunate that um, they didn't run across an officiating crew um, that was more aggressive with their flags. Because yeah, I, I, I did feel like there was a lot of contact. But I, there. but like you said, at least they were consistent. At least they they, yeah. they did it for both sides. I felt like Lance Moore got a bumped up, bumped around a, a couple times late. They could have helped the Saints maybe pull within a score. But the referees were consistent. So I didn't have any problems with it. Back to the offensive line. Um, Harris got in. Bryce Harris got injured. You know, broken leg. He's out. And just an aside, I could not feel worse for that guy because Andrew. He had a chance, you know, as a guy who's fighting for his NFL career, he's on the practice line. He could have played for the Saints, and if he would have played yesterday, played the game all the way through, and played really well, he probably would have guaranteed himself employment in the NFL for five years because the Saints, say he would have played really well yesterday, and then he goes back to the bench, the Saints would have said, well, Bryce Harris, we've got to keep him as the emergency tackle because remember what he did against San Francisco where he's decent? And he can be a backup for five years, and that was his shot to get on film, good or bad, and now he's back to square one. His leg's broken, and he's going to be fighting for his NFL life. And, and, you know, he's one of those guys, it's going to be hard for him to get meaningful playing time except in the preseason. So on that note, I did feel bad for him. Uh, But going forward, Andrew, uh, if they have to play the fourth-string guy at right tackle, I think – it affects everything because then they have to play Dave Thomas, like you said, in the jumbo packages, and it makes them less explosive. And Jimmy, if, if Jimmy Graham is playing a significant less amount of snaps against Atlanta, that's a huge, huge problem because him and Tony Gonzalez were just tearing shit up the last game, and if Jimmy Graham's not on the field, he can't be doing that. Um, how do the Saints compensate for the injuries that tackle if Streif can't play and remain explosive. 
Well, I think the the shining light in that scenario is that the Falcons are horrible against the run, and the Saints ran the ball at will on the Falcons. And so um, I think it'll be a little bit easier sledding, even with the four-string right tackle against the Falcons than it was against the 49ers, and I think Ingram and Ivory. I, personally, I, I would love to see the Saints almost overcommit to Ivory at this point and, and, and just say, you know what, you're going to get 20 carries in this game. And let's see what you can Atlanta do. Atlanta was a lot better that yesterday against Tampa, though. They, yeah, they did a good job against Doug Martin. I'll give them that, and you're right. But, um, you know, so – but with Drew Brees, they've got a lot more to worry about. That's so, true. We'll see. I mean, uh, the Saints were successful running the football against them last time. Uh, I don't know if Streep is going to play or not. Um, and, and I guess Charlie Brown isn't on IR, so that's kind of good news, too. I mean, you, you figure he would have been put on IR if his injury was super serious. So – you know, maybe he's two or three weeks away from coming back, and I feel like Streep is maybe more like one week. I, I feel like there's a decent shot Streep comes back and gets the Giants. I bet he won't come back Thursday. Well, I mean, Vince, um, but, he's close. So I, I don't know how he can – the thing that confuses me is I don't know how he can not be close to playing yesterday, but he can be close to playing this Thursday. So. Yeah, I, I, my, my guess is he's probably um, throwing smoke and mirrors for the Falcons. Um, you know, it's an odd game plan for a right tackle that has no experience. Um, but I, I fully expect Robinson to be the right tackle on Sunday – or, sorry, on Thursday. So we'll see. But, uh, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, that's the right play for the Saints right now. You know, and even if it means less playing time for Jimmy Graham, you still have Drew Brees. They can still be effective. Um, but I think it's got to become a little bit more of a dink and dunk offense and a little bit less of a um, – deep ball throwing offense. And so that's going to put more pressure on the, on the defense to play like they did yesterday. And that's fine. If they play like they did yesterday, the Saints will be fine as long as Drew Brees doesn't shit himself. Well, I think, you know, as we look towards Atlanta, look, Atlanta's water, the difference between Atlanta's wide receivers and San Francisco's wide receiver is wide receivers are just, it's night and day. Um, yeah. The thing with Atlanta, they have, they're going to have Witherspoon back. They think he makes a huge difference. He did yesterday in the run game. Um, but Atlanta, I think they still struggle mightily on defense, especially against the pass. Um, the thing for the Saints is, you know, we've definitely seen progress with this defense the last month. Uh, you can you can see it in the statistics, and you can see it on the in in your eyes. You probably even see it more so in film study. I feel like Andrew, the pass rush. It hasn't been as crazy good as it was against Philly, but that's just because their line is an NFL caliber, let's be honest. But I feel like you're seeing consistent pressure, and I thought yesterday they played well. They they held up. They didn't have any busted coverages again, which is a good sign. And the main thing is, is it time to reevaluate Cam Jordan? I feel like his pass rushing is getting better and better, and he his ceiling is his, is it time to say maybe his ceiling is a little bit higher than we first thought? I think so. I mean, I, I think he he's starting to show that he might be able to become a ten sack a season guy. Um, now the Saints, I thought, rushed the passer pretty well against Copernic, even when they were just rushing four, um, but they didn't get any sacks. So if you look at the the sheer statistics, um, it doesn't look like they rushed the passer that well. But they did get some pressure. Um, and, 
you know, I, I think that matchup in particular was good for, for Cam Jordan because he faced Davis, who is a mammoth right tackle, and he's just a huge physical specimen, 6'5", 350. Um, but he doesn't move laterally that well. And so um, that, that, that's one of those guys that, um, you, you know, Jordan is strong enough that he, he he's not going to be, um, you know, if, if, he, if Davis gets his hands on Jordan, he wasn't getting blown off the ball and just completely blown up. And I get the feeling that most, Defensive ends that are a little bit light in the pads, um, you know, Davis gets his hands on them and it's almost game over. But he was withstanding that pretty well, and um, you know, he was still quick enough to kind of beat him around the edge. So um, Cam Jordan was kind of eating his lunch, and um, what I did notice is he's kind of developing some more inside moves. Like you know, a couple times he would beat him to the outside, and then what he would do is kind of start like he was moving inside and do a swim move or you know, kind of a you know, a hand slap move and come back into the interior and he was beating him that way. So in general, I just saw more variety from his pass rushing moves. And, and that's ultimately what's going to get him more sacks. Now, as I said, he got zero sacks in that game. And the main reason why he ended with zero sacks is he still lacks that real explosiveness. You know, once he beats his man, he's, he's kind of like Will Smith. You know, it's kind of like a penguin trying to chase a rabbit, you know, where um, he just doesn't have that explosiveness where, where Dwight Freeney, he beats his man, and, and you know, you, you just see him bearing down on the quarterback, and you're like, oh, shit, there's no way he's getting away from this. Well, um, Cam Jordan just doesn't have that elusive speed, that that exceptional speed that, that gets in that sack every time. And so, ultimately, I think that's, that, that's something he's never going to be able to fix. And so I think that's what – stops him from ever being yeah. a consistent 10-sack guy every season. But I have seen enough from him in terms of his his variation of his moves, which have gotten better and better, and he's improving every week. And he's always a high-motor guy, and his effort's always there. And so that shows me enough to prove to me that, yes, his ceiling isn't, you know, three to seven sacks a season and maybe more like five to ten sacks. Yeah, I, look, I think, I think he's gonna, I think he's gonna be a, a, a really, a really nice defensive end. And you know, I, I feel like the NFL is so instant gratification that a lot of these first round picks, you know, if they don't come in and give us exactly what our dreams and hopes are on draft day, we label them a bust. I mean, you know, not to compare him to Wayne Martin, because Wayne Martin for the Saints, people that are older listening to this podcast, you know, he was a defensive tackle, but he played end for the Saints too. You know, he was probably one of the most underrated Saints players of all time. You know, he just played and played for like a dozen years, didn't get injured, and, and had a bunch of. I think he had like four straight double-digit sack years in, in the in the in the uh, early '90s. And the thing was, his first two years, he he didn't get sacks. And you know, sometimes it takes a player a couple of years to figure it out, like you said, to develop moves. And look, if they if they can have Cam Jordan and get, you know, if you can have Cam Jordan that that's a complete player, it gives you, to me, Andrew, it gives you more flexibility to say, you know what, we're going to get a guy who might be a little bit light on the other side and is more pass rush heavy and is not so good against the run. It gives you more flexibility to do that. Um, but uh, this defense overall, Andrew, um, against Atlanta – you know, last week you called it. You said in the game plan, you said, look, San Francisco, 
you think I think the Saints can shut down the run game. I don't think it, the San Francisco passing game, if you, if they can limit Vernon Davis, I don't think they'll do that much damage. You were correct. Against Atlanta, Matt Ryan threw for a boatload of yards. People were, you know, even when the Saints were covering them, they were still making throws. What's the key on the road for this defense? If I told you, look, the defense can do one thing really, really well, and it's not create five turnovers. If they can do one thing well, what do they need to do in Atlanta to be in the game and and win it? Well, I, I think um, Matt Matt Ryan gets rid of the ball so quickly. I mean, yeah, I, I think I think it's a similar game plan the last time. I think the fact that they were able to hold Turner 13 carries for 15 yards was huge. And I think um, you know, look, you, you live with. Uh, being susceptible against the pass. I think that's the recipe for success with this defense. I mean, you look at what they did against the 49ers. Defensively, I thought it was their best game of the season. You know, you take away those two big sixes and they yielded 17 points. So, um, you know, I, I still think that's the recipe for success with the Saints. They control the line of scrimmage, they stop the run, and it forces the opponent, opposing team to consistently make third and fives, third and twos. Now, yes, the coverage is so bad that at times you're going to have a drive like they had yesterday where they started at the five, they drove the length of the field, burned down what felt like a, an entire quarter in time, and that, that's what you're susceptible to. And that can happen when they're consistently on third and four, third and five, converting every single time. And that's frustrating, but I feel like that, that for the Saints, that's just a better ploy because it's forcing the opponent to consistently beat you. And all it takes is one, one like that horrible drop from Vernon Davis. You know, all it takes is one missed throw where, where it's slightly inaccurate, um, you know, where that where the drive gets killed and they have to punt. All it takes is one mistake by a receiver running his route, which we saw from Manningham, where he runs a yard short of the first down and catches the football gets tackled on the opening drive, and it's fourth and one. they got to punt. Great well, stuff. yeah, and look, to make that even close, to make it even clearer, look, if Randy Moss doesn't make a really great and smart play against Malcolm Jenkins in the end zone, Andrew, I would argue that game had a chance to be tied because if if Randy Moss isn't aware of what's going on and lets Malcolm Jenkins jump in front of that ball, he's probably going a hundred yards the other way. Yeah, no, you're right. You and, know, and so. so I, I think I think it's got to be that again, Ralph. It's got to be control the line of scrimmage, stop the run, and there's a good chance the Saints will give up a lot more explosive plays against the pass than they did against the 49ers even because, like you said, you put Julio Jones one-on-one streaking down the field against Jabari Greer. It's not going to end well. Um, but I, I just think that's the, uh, those are the chances you got to take. Well, the thing the thing that's interesting with this game is, you know, and the Falcoholic is a good sport SB Nation blog. Um, you know, they are just Falcon fans are just like, God damn it, just just take Michael, you know, take Michael Turner out back and shoot him if he was a horse. They just he's done as a player, and Atlanta's sticking with them, and they committed to the run yesterday. They got 80 yards. They were excited. They're like, Yeah, we stuck with the run. We got 80 yards. Eventually, one of these weeks, they're going to not give Michael Turner the majority of the carries. Um, hopefully, it won't be this week because, I, you know, their other running backs are sort of tiny and scat-back-ish. 
um, Jaquiz, Jaquiz Rogers and such. Um, you know, but I, I feel like this game, Andrew, with Atlanta is more, it's more about Atlanta than it is about the Saints. And that may sound strange in just that, look, if Atlanta is going to prove themselves elite and start to quiet the critics, it's going to happen on Thursday. They're going to either win a close game against the Saints or blow out the Saints and say, haha, you see, we're 11 and 1, we're the best, we're legit. Or the Saints are going to dump truck them and everybody's going to go, haha, Atlanta, you are a fraud. Um, what's your, what is your, what is your, um, gut tell you about Atlanta and can if you could put away your hatred for them as a Saints fan what what does your gut tell you about Atlanta and their what they are are they one of the elite teams in the NFC because my gut says no Ralph you crack me up man because <laughs> I feel like every week when we talk about the Saints matchup you're like it's gonna be a blowout you yes. don't truck them or the opponent embarrasses the Saints and puts them out of their misery I just don't understand why it can't be a close game and once again the Saints pull it out. I mean, that that, that would be a smart money. But, um, no, look, my my hatred for Atlanta is well-documented, but I think if you look at what they do, they're a fairly complete team. I mean, I, I think they're a more complete team than the Saints. I mean, if you're telling me to look at it objectively, yeah. I think – the Saints are more explosive in the passing game because of their quarterback. Um, but the Falcons have better playmakers. You know, I mean, Tony Gonzalez and Jimmy Graham is maybe about a wash. Maybe Jimmy is a little bit better, but he drops a lot of passes. I think Julio Jones and Roddy White beat the shit out of any two receivers the Saints have. Um, and, you know, the running game, Michael Turner is maybe slightly not as good as the Saints running backs, but – I feel like the Saints this year have almost had too many good running backs. Yeah. And they've gotten in each other's way. So, um, you know, I, I, I think, you know, you put that all together, and I, I just feel like the main difference is Drew versus Matt Ryan. Um, and Matt Ryan, to his credit, at times has played really well this year. Defensively, there's no question that the Falcons' defense is much better, um, and I just feel like they're a more complete team because of that. So, um, I don't. I think the, the Falcons are more explosive in the passing game than a team like the 49ers. Not nearly as good defensively. Not nearly as good running the ball. And I really feel like when you get to the playoffs, the teams that are winning are the teams with dominant defenses. And that's why I feel like the Bears. Um, I feel like the the Bears. The uh, why am I blanking on these? The 49ers and yeah. the Giants. I feel like those three are kind of the more dangerous three teams. Um, I think the Bears struggle at quarterback and have a poor offensive line. So for me, kind of the front runners are the 49ers and the Giants. And I feel like that is a big mismatch um, for the Falcons facing those teams because they can run it down the Falcons' throat and they have good enough defenses to shut down an offense that's pretty capable. And I feel like the Falcons have kind of played down on their competition a little bit this year, but um, the, the Falcons have flaws. I feel like they have an old running back. I don't think they have a great offensive line. I think they have an okay offensive line. And um, they're not great stopping the run. Now, Doug Martin aside, you know, they did a good job last week. But overall this season, that has been kind of their Achilles heel defensively. So, um, 
you know, I, I, I think they're slightly stronger than the Saints, but the Saints are certainly capable of, uh, of beating them. I think at the end of the day, um, what I'm thinking on the most is this apparent mental block that they have against the Saints. I mean, at this point, the Saints are in the Falcons' head. The Falcons, as good as they are, and even the Saints on a down year without their coach, they just can't beat them. And they haven't been able to beat them for the last six years. And if they lose, Ralph, if they lose Thursday and they're 10-2 and two, and they're 10-0 and 0 when they play anyone not named the New Orleans Saints and 0-2 against the 500 team that was 5-6 and six going into that game, then there's going to be that cloud of doubt that, of same old Falcons, not coming from the Saints fans because that's been coming from the Saints fans all season. It's going to be coming from their own fans. We're going to start booing them. It's going to start coming from the national media. It's going to start to rain shit on the Falcons that, yeah, the Saints might be 6-6, six and six, and, yeah, the Falcons might be 10-2, and two, but the Saints still own the NFC South. Let's be serious about who really owns that division. Everyone is going to be saying it, and you know the pressure in the back of the Falcons' head, and each player on that roster, they know it too. And so for them – I, I, I don't I don't feel like they can feel like they can get over that hump unless they beat the thing. Well, and that's true. And just the thing about them that is so confounding. I mean, look, you know, I saw I saw it today. I think it was on Twitter that you know, the only team that's had a comparable record to the ten and one Falcons and has as many um, games decided by a touchdown or less is the two thousand and six Colts. Uh, and the, look, the two thousand and six Colts won the Super Bowl. But the thing about the Colts, I mean, they did blow out a couple of teams. You look at this Atlanta. So what's like their, what's their signature win? Where where you look at them and you're like, oh, but that's the game they played. They put everything together and won. I mean, like the 2009, what like the 2009 Saints. I mean, I would argue you you could say, look, they won the Super Bowl, so that you know that was the best game they played. But I would argue. If you take the Saints team that beat the Colts in the Super Bowl and you play them against that team that played New England on that Monday night where the Saints slaughtered New England, that Saints team that beat New England, that was the peak of the 2009 season where the Saints just had everything working at once and slaughtered the Patriots on Monday night. I don't see a signature win by Atlanta. And part of me is thinking either they're not going to have a signature win because they're a fraud or Andrew, they're getting their signature win Thursday night. Yeah, it, it's possible, um, and, and I, I think it's, it would be less about beating someone that, that's you know considered elite, and more about this this mental hump that they have, you know, this yeah. mental block that is beating the Saints. So I do think it would be huge for the Falcons, but uh, unless they dump Chuck the, Chuck the Saints, which you're suggesting is a possibility. Um, unless they really blow out the Saints, um, I, I'm still going to have huge, Question. huge reservations about the, this team because ultimately at the end of the day, um, I just feel like you put them up against a team that can play defense and they can run the ball. They just, they have no chance, Ralph. Yeah, I mean, it'll, the thing is, it would be really – it would be really interesting to see, you know, and of course it would be great for us too, is I would like to see um, – I would like to see them really behind the eight ball. The Saints nearly did it the first time around, Andrew, where they got up 10 on them and had the ball a couple 
times and but couldn't couldn't sort of really put the screws to him because I would like to see because I feel like Matt Ryan I feel like he's good but I feel like he you know he had the five interception game I feel like he makes a lot of mistakes and you know when he has to throw it all over the place I feel like he 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 can get a little loose um so that that'll be interesting uh key for the Saints is John Abraham, even when the Saints have, have had this stretch where they've sort of owned Atlanta, John Abraham, John Abraham Andrew, still had some pretty big freaking games. Yeah. Um, what do you think the Saints will do to sort of slow him down? Well, I think there's going to be a lot more pressure on Bushrod to have a big game and handle Abraham as much as possible by himself. And that that's probably what concerns me the most is in the past, um, Bushrod's been the one that's gotten a lot of the double teams, the chips, the the uh, the running back help, you know, to control Abraham every time the Saints play Atlanta. And I feel like the this time it's gonna they're gonna tell him, okay, look, man, you've got a full stream right tackle, the chips and the double teams and the help is gonna have to come over there. So you're on your own over on the left mm-hmm. side protecting Drew Brees' blind side. Uh, now look. Anytime Brees feels pressure on the edge, he's the best in the game at feeling that, and he's going to step up into the pocket. The problem against the 49ers is the interior line collapsed, and they didn't do a good job. So um, basically you had this perfect storm of Brees stepping up into the pocket and, and, and just walking into an onslaught. You know, and so that, I feel like there's – it's not just about blocking Abraham. You know, if Brees can step up in the pocket, then he's counting on Bill Puente, he's counting on – Grubbs and he's counting on Jari Evans to block well as well. So um, those guys have to block. It's on those guys just as much as it is Bushra to contain Abraham because if Brees can step into a clean pocket, then, you know, what Abraham can do by getting around the edge isn't hurting him that much. So um, I, I just think the Saints' offensive line um, had a woeful performance, and they, they and I said this before the game, this is the best defense the Saints will face all season, period. And it was. And so I, I think compared to what they faced, um, you'll see the Saints offense come out and play better because um, by comparison, the defense they're facing on Thursday is just nowhere near as good. Well, look, you know, to me, they got it's a must win. I said all along, they got to be they got to be six and six going to December. I think the last we, we said it earlier, the last team in, in the NFC, I think they're going to have nine wins. So if they can get this win on Thursday, be six and six, a three and one fourth quarter of the season, I think will get them to nine and seven. May it may not get them in, but it'll probably get them in some sort of tiebreaker world um, where you never know that how that goes. But Andrew, um, give me a prediction for uh, Thursday night and uh, one player for the Saints not named Drew Brees that has to have a big game. Well, I think the the Saints defense is playing better, and they're starting to play with more confidence. And I think the Saints will go into this game feeling like we've already beaten the Falcons once. We can do it again. Um, So I think uh, the final score is going to be 27-24 Saints. And I'm going against Ralph's theory that it's going to be a blowout one way or another. I think it's going to be another dogfight, close game, bitter, you know, just crawling at each other flying at each other till the very end. Um, and I think the Saints are going to come out on top. This may be the game, Ralph, where we see Breeze finally 
go on that methodical, epic, last-minute drive to win the game for the yeah, Saints a- with a fourth-string right tackle, somehow pull it off. Um, but as far as the one player that I think has to have a huge game, um, for me, it's got to be, again, it's got to be the safeties for the Saints. And I'm going to pick Roman Harper, um, you know, because he did a pretty good job of slowing down Tony Gonzalez in the first mm-hmm. game. I mean, he, he had big stats, but there was a couple times where he broke up a huge pass in the end zone to uh, to hold the Falcons to to zero on, on a red zone, you know, attempt. And yeah. so but I, I feel like it's still – that's the matchup that, that is the key to the Saints' defense against the Falcons. Um, you know that Julio Jones is going to hurt him vertically a little bit. You know Roddy White is going to have his successes against Jabari Greer. But if Roman Harper can contend with Tony Gonzalez, Gonzalez is the man that that helps the Falcons against the Saints especially move the chains on that third and three, on that third and four. When the Saints get in those possessions, Matt Ryan is looking to Gonzalez first and foremost to move those chains. And so those are the plays that Roman Harper has to come up with to get the Saints defense off the field. So I'm taking Harper. Yeah, I don't, that that's a it's a great choice. I I have turned in my column Wednesday night for Channel Four. I just I've gone back fifty different ways in this game. Right now, unfortunately, I'm leaning towards an Atlanta blowout. Just well, because, don't do it, Ralph. But I can't I, I can't take it, man. But uh, I just I have these thoughts of like Matt Ryan with the with the on the. Uh, on the post game show with Eisen yapping it up and blah blah blah, but we'll see. And I'll make a predi- I'll make a prediction here. So you're telling me and everyone listening to this podcast at the bar. What's that? You're telling me and everyone listening to this podcast that we better stock the bar Thursday night. You got to stock the bar. I think the one thing I will say is, no matter what I end up picking in my column, and I'll say it then too, if the Saints win Thursday, they're going to the playoffs. You know, so do you think they're beating the Giants? You know, I think the Giants game, the Giants look, they looked fantastic last night, granted, but the Saints will have 11 days to get ready. And the thing with the Giants is last night aside, they don't play that well at home with Eli and they for all the talk of oh when it gets to be December and they make their run last year they got dump trucked in their own stadium by the Redskins to fall to 7 and 7 so to me in spite of the Giants winning a couple of world championships you never know what the hell team's going to show up i think actually the Saints the game that has me the most worried besides the next two is I think the Tampa game because you could conceivably have it where the Saints are seven and six or six and seven or whatever or pro- hopefully they'll be seven and six going into that game where Tampa's seven and six and it's just like you say it's the, a knockdown drag out affair uh, and Tampa does weird things to the Saints when they play in the dome. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, everybody go to SaintsNation.com. Andrew's got his offensive grades, his defensive grades, all kinds of great stuff. Um, thanks for joining us, Andrew. And hopefully when we talk to you next week, the Saints will be 6-6 six and six and uh, we can all laugh at Atlanta because that is the most – that's why Twitter was invented, I believe. 
Yeah, I mean, it makes me feel better as a person. It does. It really. I think. I think because one, it, it makes you feel better as a person. It's what Twitter was invented for, and also just I. I want to see the angry hoot at just burn Atlanta to the ground, just like Sherman. That's what I want to see. <laughs> Yeah, no, and look, at the, you know, we can now officially ring the bell and declare this, you know, Falcons rivalry, hate week, hate the Falcons week. And, uh, well, let's not forget that, okay? We, we've been talking X's and O's for a while, but, again, let, let's remember, this is the Falcons. We hate them. They represent everything that is unpure and, and satanic and, and demonic and god-awful. You know, they, they're the Al-Qaeda of, of humanity, and um, we have to beat them. Yeah, we, we have to, we have to beat them. And to to have to be, if the Saints can beat them again, to have Atlanta, like you said, to have Atlanta be ten and two, ten and zero against the rest of the NFL, and zero and two against the team that they hate the most, would just be fantastic in this season of shit and bounties and all the rest. Yeah, in a Sean Payton-less bounty-filled season, a sweep of the 10-2, and two, honestly, I would rather they go 14-2. and two. Now, I don't want them to win the Super Bowl in the Orleans, because that, that, that kills everything. But, you know, assuming they lose in the playoffs, if they go 14-2 and two and the Saints sweep them, I will take that as a successful season given what the Saints have been through. If you told me right now that the Saints will not make the playoffs, but they will sweep the Falcons, the Falcons will end the regular season 14-2 and with both losses to the Saints only and get knocked out at home in their first playoff game, if you gave that to me as an option right now, I would take it. I would take that option, but I'll tell you what I would trade almost anything for would be for Atlanta to be 14-3 and three, and the Saints have all three of the victory, all three of their losses. <laughs> You're an evil man. I think, I think if, Andrew, if you told me that the Saints could make the playoffs and beat Atlanta and that Atlanta would finish 14-3 and three and all three losses would against the Saints, or I could have a second world championship for the Saints, I'd Ask if I could think about it for a day. <laughs> that's, that's impressive. Yeah, no, I I would lick a mile of roadkill for that. Yeah, I I would I would have to I would have to lick I'd lick a mile of roadkill, but I would definitely need it because another Super Bowl would be nice, and because the first one was great, but to have Atlanta's best season be permanently stained by the Saints would just be about the second best thing you could have besides a Lombardi trophy. All right, Ralph, and let's end on this note. For that scenario, would you be willing to drink one pint of Roseanne Barr's sweat? Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. I'd room temperature. Room te- I'd, I'd do it for the same thing. Without a doubt. You're a great man. I, uh, I, I think it needs to happen. That, that's how deep my hate for Atlanta runs, my friend. You're a good man. All right, Andrew. Until next week, be safe, my friend. Have a good one.
I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. JJ has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard, BMW, the ultimate driving machine. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.